I sense the Holy Spirit impressing upon me to share what I'm sharing with you this morning, and he's confirmed it for me. And really, this is from God's heart to you. It's to all of us. It's to his people. I believe it's vital in the days we're living in. Someone sent me a video yesterday. It was called The The Enemy Within. And it basically chronicles, details what's happening uh, to the church in America. Really, it's been going on for decades and decades and decades. And I don't think we fully understand the corruption, the deception that has already permeated the church, the schools, the theological seminaries, all of them, almost. Uh, The culture has seeped in. Uh, It's really the enemy, the spirit of this world, the philosophies of this world. Everything has gotten in into a mixture with truth and which you can't really mix. You can't. It's like oil and water. And people that I would have told you there's no way possible they're going to fall for it. I'm watching fall like dominoes, one after another after another. Whether it's a watered-down gospel, whether it's um, bringing man's philosophies uh, and trying to integrate it with the Word of God, whether it's a woke gospel or social justice, which isn't in the Bible, there's God justice. That's the only justice we have in the Scriptures. And we need to get back to the old paths of Scripture, the timeless texts of God. And I was thinking about Friday night when I was in prayer yesterday and what God was doing, and maybe we'll have some testimonies. I know some people were touched Friday night, or God was speaking to you. Um, That's what kind of prompted this to share with you this morning. And it's about two people in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. A man and a woman who, after 400 years of God being silent, are at a place and time when God is about to visit his people. The Messiah, Jesus, is coming on the scene. And they are fully awake, fully prepared, and used by God in that hour. And there's qualities in their lives that I want to look at. Because unless we have those qualities, unless we are walking as they walk, in their day, we are not going to understand. We're not going to know what God is doing. Uh, we will be swept away because the day of the Lord is coming. Judgment's coming. I believe judgment is coming. And unless we are fully grounded and full of the Holy Spirit, we will not stand. Mediocre Christianity is not going to stand. It didn't stand in the early church, and it's not going to stand in the, le- in the end times church. They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit then. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit now. 
It's going to take nothing less. They had to redeem their time for God and not be intoxicated with the spirit of this world, and we are going to have to redeem our time and not be intoxicated with the spirit of this world. Otherwise, we will be swept away. And I'm watching it happen. I'm watching men of God that I have known for years be swept away. And it's sobering. It's very sobering, this time we are in. And what's so sobering to me is that people still are not responding. It's like, you look at the book of Revelation, you would think with judgments being poured on the earth, people would repent. It says they still wouldn't repent, which shows me that there's a danger of hardening your heart when God is speaking to you, when you have the opportunity to respond to him. It's very dangerous because your heart becomes callous. You cannot take the grace of God and just continue sinning and counting it, the blood of Christ, like a common thing. There's a danger in doing that. And over the decades, we've so watered down the gospel. It's nothing to come to church with sin in my life. It's no big deal to come in the presence of God. Well, it was a big deal in the first church, first century church. It wasn't something God tolerated. He doesn't tolerate it now. We tolerate, and that's why he's not in our churches. His presence isn't in most of our churches. Just like the days these two dear saints were living in, the glory of God had departed. It was absent for 400 years. And they were still going about their religious activities in the temple. But now someone was about to enter the temple. Jesus, the Messiah, the one they had hoped in. And these two were ready. And it says in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And he was just, he was devout, he was waiting for God, the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. He was awake, he was fully awake, he was ready. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is as Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be circumcised. He was righteous. He was right with God. He wasn't self-righteous. His life was conformed to what God had spoken in his word. He, He lived his life to please and honor God and others could see it. They could see this man walks with God. This man loves God. He keeps his commandments. He walks upright among the people. He doesn't come to the the temple
with the testimony of a man that takes the word of God and the commandments of God lightly. He's an honorable man that honors God. And what God had spoken in his holy word on how his people should live. He took it seriously. He feared God. He was a pious man. He had the fear of God in him. We've lost that. We've so twisted the scriptures so that we can do what we want to do. Not this man. He showed those around him. Like I said, he was a lover of God. He understood the secret of waiting and standing on the promises of God. His whole life he waited, believed God, was unmovable. We're going to need that. He believed the testimony of Jesus, the Messiah, and he waited patiently and with confidence in God. He had faith. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's the key. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Supernaturally, God was upon him. Giving him something he didn't have in himself. We need to learn what that man had learned. How to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Spirit, not just his own thoughts, not something he read in a book or watched online on a YouTube video. No, God spoke to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. God conveyed his heart to him. That he would not see death. Before he had seen the Lord Christ. So he came. By the spirit. It wasn't just happenstance. He just wasn't happened to be in the right place at the right time. He was being led by the Holy Spirit. And we have to know if we are children of God. We are led by the Holy Spirit. Life is not just happenstance. Someone is guiding us. God, the Holy Spirit, if we are His children, that dwells within us, guides and leads our lives. Because we hear His voice and we follow Jesus. And by the Spirit, He came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. What was that like for him? He was seeing what God had promised him. That's what's in my heart. I want to see everything God has promised to his church. I want to see God moving the way he, I know he can. I've seen him do it. The way I read about in the scriptures in the early church, I want to see God in that way. 
I want to see God really finding him, really finding repentance, truly being saved and set free and on fire for him and going out to a lost world, boldly proclaiming the gospel with power. That's what I want to see, and that's what God desires. That's why he died. That's what the promise of God is all about. You will do greater things than I did. There'll be more of you, and you'll have my power upon you. We need to be believing God for that. He saw Jesus, the way, the way, the truth, the life. He saw it, and that baby understood God had revealed to him what it meant. And he was rejoicing. I'll never forget when that happened for me. When I saw him. Changed my life forever. Maybe he finally understood finally finally someone that can do what I know I see we've tried for thousands of years to do get right with God he's here finally the Messiah is here he's going to do what we couldn't do he's going to make a new and living way he's going to put his truth in us he's going to write his law on our hearts his life is going to come inside of us I mean, if God was speaking to him and revealing things, surely he could reveal all these things. That's why a Christian's life goal should be about telling people about that. If you've really seen them. If you've really seen them, your life would be wholly given over to that. You really understood. First of all, foremost, what he saved you from and what he wants to save others from. That's what happened to his disciples, too, by the way. He revealed himself when Peter said, In Matthew 16, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I know this to be true. Wasn't Peter like all of a sudden thought to himself, oh yeah, yeah, you're the one. No, Jesus told him how he understood that. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This didn't come from you, Peter. My father revealed it to you. We can walk with an open heaven over us. That's not mystical. We have the word of God as our guide. Just like the disciples did in the person of Jesus. But they didn't understand it until he left and sent the Holy Spirit that revealed the truth he was already speaking to them. 
Same here. He'll begin to speak to you. He'll open up your understanding. He'll reveal truth to you through His Word. That's the awesome thing. God, the God of the universe has a relationship. That's, this man was walking with God. God spoke to him. Revealed truth in his inner man. That's what happens. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Later, period, uh, Peter experienced what it was really like to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when God opened his mouth in power and he spoke boldly, testified about the cross and what Jesus did. And it says the people were cut. By the way, it wasn't a message of God loves you. It was a message of you crucified him. It was your sin that put him there and you're guilty. You should have known better. And they were cut to the heart. What do we do? Put your faith in what he did for you. Because he still loves you. I don't think they were mediocre Christians if they repented like that. Most of them were probably martyred. Went into persecution after that. Later on. But they understood what happened for them because they understood what true repentance was. They weren't given a watered-down gospel that just comes from someone's intellect that's intermixed with other things that has no power in it. Come join our church. God's going to make your life better. That's not the gospel. It's a narrow way. It's difficult. It's hard. Few go that way. But it's good news because God rescues us, redeems us from the curse and from standing under the wrath of God in the judgment because he took it for us. And that's what Peter shared, basically. And they repented. That's what we need happening in our churches. Not, oh, it's all right. Yeah, God understands. Yeah, just repent, you know. Yeah, just get it in the light. That's good. No, people need to be cut to the heart. This sin, this thing I'm giving over, that's what crucified Jesus. I should hate it because I love him. That should cause a cry in your heart. Oh, God, grant me a broken, contrite heart. Grant me a heart of flesh, Lord. God, soften my heart. It must be hard if I can just continue on in what I'm doing and, and it doesn't bother me. And I think you're okay with it. Again, he preached an unwatered down, unapologetic gospel. 
That's why it's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 is kind of what God spoke to us this morning. Verse 15 says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. I, I challenge you to do a study in the Bible of the end of a fool and the end of a wise man. Just go through the book of Proverbs. The end of a fool is never good. Never, ever. Don't be a fool, but wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Don't be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It was the Spirit that guided him to the temple. At the very moment, Mary was about to present Jesus to the Lord. Just think about that. Have you ever had a time where you're prompted to go somewhere? Just happened to us two weeks ago. We didn't even want to go there. But we just prompted need to go there. And then we're sitting there and all of a sudden I get another prompting. A voice inside that says there's someone here that you need to talk to. I want them to know I know what's going on basically. And right at that moment some girl sits down and starts pouring her heart out about the horrible abusive situation she is involved in and we're able to pray with her and share the gospel with her. She's in tears. The manager comes over and I had to tell her, it's okay, it's okay. She's good. She's doing a good job. <laughs> that wasn't just happenstance. God wants to lead us and direct. He wants us at places at different times. You know, just like when they would pray in the, in the book of Acts. And he'd say, go to such and such place because there's people there that I'm already working on. There's a difference of being led by the Spirit and then just thinking, well, i got to go out and do something. And it's in your own strength and you're just doing it because that's what Christians should do, right? We should go out and hand tracts out and stuff. But we need to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be led by the Spirit. That's what he was, and he was there at the right time. And I think part of it was so he could encourage Mary and Joseph. Because I'm sure even with all the signs, they just had shepherds come and all this stuff happening. But I think it was hard for them and God was just sending them people that he could work through to encourage them and speak to them. It made me think about church. You're like, how we should come to church. We should come to church full of the Holy Spirit. We should come to church prepared prayerful. Lord, how do you want to use me, Lord? Help me to be led today. Lord, let me open my mouth, Lord, or pray for somebody. But God, use me today, Lord. I want to see you move today at church. I'm going expectantly, Lord, because you're going to be there. Not, okay, I got to get up. It's time to go to church. You know, church. 
that's pretty much what we've made it. No, this should be a powerful time. I know it was in the early church. I don't think people were like, oh, I got to do this or that. Oh, I don't feel like getting up today. But what, they're meeting? Remember what happened the last time? <laughs> I'm, I'm going, man. Let's go meet with God. Let's see what he wants to do. And listen, it's because God's presence was there. That's the most important thing. His presence was there. He was there. But we also saw, like, if someone was in sin, it was pretty scary. So, did God change? Is he different now? Oh, but we got to welcome people. We... We, we don't want people to feel bad, you know. And church is for God's people. That's one misnomer we got to get. Church is for God's people. If a sinner comes in, hopefully they'll be convicted. Hopefully their sin and their need for God. Because they're in the fire. They walk into a fire. They walk into where God's presence is. And when you read in the Bible, that's usually what happens. But then also they understand. Okay, come just as you are for cleansing. There's hope for you. There's good news for you. That's what this is all about. Be cleansed of your sin. And we see it over and over again with Jesus. He even warned people, now go sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus said that. Worse than stoning? Really? Oh, but we don't want to upset people. He said that because he loved her. See, if you don't tell people what they need to hear, you really don't love them. You love yourself because you're more worried about, oh, well, they're not going to like me. They're going to say this about me or, or that or whatever. I, that video that uh, he sent me, uh, someone here, I don't want to say who, um, there's a nine-minute ending. It was powerful what this man so he was preaching in a church I was shaken to my core and he basically what he was saying was if pastors were truly preaching the gospel and holding up the standard that God does they would lose half their congregation and he said and it would be a good thing because they're just hindering what God wants to do it was powerful We need something to happen, people. That's what we're praying for. God is looking for servants. He can fill, he can lead, he can use in this hour. We got to be careful with the whole rapture thing. Oh, well, I'm just going to be out of here. Are you sure? When? 
Because many have suffered before us. Many have gone through tribulation before us. No one knows when that will be. I don't know what people get in their mind, you know. They're living for the world and all that. And Yeah, I'm going to be out of here. So he, he goes on here. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. See, he got it. He didn't see him as the Messiah coming to conquer Rome and all that. He understood. He was in the spirit. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things. Well, weren't they told? Again, God was helping them. They marveled at the things that were spoken of him. That's because it's powerful when God speaks through people. Then he blessed them. He prayed for them. And he said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, you have great sorrow coming. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was another one, another witness, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This one kind of struck me because I look at the church today and how we do our relationships. Here's a lady. She's married for seven years. Her husband dies. She doesn't go looking for another husband. She devotes the rest of her life to fasting and prayer, and she's in the temple every day. Where are her priorities, huh? A prophetess, just one who spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to declare Jesus, the Messiah, to all those that were looking for redemption. A widow of 84 years. <laughs> 84 years. 84 years. Who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. She was fully awake. She didn't depart from the temple. She hungered for the presence of God. She put herself where he was coming to. She was there day and night. She redeemed her time for God. She wasn't a casual seeker of God. She pressed into God with all earnestness. She went after him. With her whole heart. And when coming in that instant, 
also led by the Spirit, right at the right time, she gave thanks to the Lord and she spoke of him, Jesus, to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And so when they had performed all the things according to the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Wow, what a visit to church, huh? But that's what it should be like. God speaking through people what he wants to do. And he does that here. He wants to do it more. Well, why is that? Were these people special or anything? You know what it was? They were friends with God. Remember that song? I am a friend of God. Forget how it goes exactly. We used to do events, and when that song was really big, every church we went to played it. And I would get so mad. And I'd be sitting there thinking, really? Really? You're really a friend of God? You know, because I just was talking to people that were in horrible sin, and they're there. I am a friend. Really? You are? Well, Abraham was. I don't know about you. <laughs> a friend, when you're a friend of God, it means something. Um, they were friends of God. It means that person lives in communion and obedience to God. That's someone God can reveal himself to. That's someone that God can lead. Um, in James 2, verse 23, it says about Abraham, he was called a friend of God. And we see in um, Genesis chapter 20 that Abimelech, the king of Gerar, uh, says, God spoke to this man in verse 7, this king. He says, listen, restore the man's wife, Abraham, for he's a prophet. And he's going to pray for you and you will live. But if you don't restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. Then in Genesis eighteen seventeen. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? See, when you're a friend of God, you're not in the dark. God's not going to leave you in the dark. Jesus said, you're not going to be taken unawares. Psalm 25, 14 says, the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. He will show them his covenant. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And in John 15, 15, Jesus said, Henceforth, I don't call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his Lord is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Here it is. All scripture is given by divine inspiration. It's God breathed. There's no errors in here. It's all there for us. And if it's it's profitable, 
for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And you have the Holy Spirit to teach you, to reveal the truth of God's word to your heart. How would you like for the Father in heaven, your Father in heaven, to lean over to Jesus and say, should I hide from Rose what I'm about to do? Should I hide from Mike what I'm about to do? I mean, it did that with Abraham. Why not us? Shall I hide from my people what I'm about to do? No, he's not going to. He's going to prepare us. He's going to speak to us just like he has for the last two years. Wake up. Come out of her, my people. Quit being distracted. Turn away from worthless things. Seek me with all your heart. Ring a bell. I know he's been speaking that to me. And I shamefully say I'm not there yet. Okay, so I'm not like up here like, you you guys better get your act together. I better get my act together. I don't know if I'm fully ready. I know I'm not satisfied, that's for sure. Because I know God can do more and has more for me. And he's not the one or he's not the problem. That's all I'll say. I know what he's promised me. He lets me taste it here and there, but I, I, I know there's more. I want my life to express him to others, to be used by him the way he, only he can. But he can't when he can't share me, he can't fill me if I'm filled with other things. So, listen, today is no different than their day. We need a visitation from Jesus, the Messiah. We need revival. We need God's divine intervention. And God, I believe, does want to do something. And we need to know the importance of being in the Spirit on the Lord's day or being full of the Spirit. Fully awakened. Jesus commanded us. Wait, or commanded to say, wait for the Spirit until they were filled. We have to obey that commandment. We have to look to God expectantly to give us what we don't have in ourselves. Luke 24, 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued from power on high. Don't Stop seeking. Don't stop knocking until you have what I want to give you. My power, my authority, my boldness, my ability to speak my word, to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. And in the early church, we see they continued to obey that. It wasn't a one-time thing. It says... um, in Acts one thirteen, uh, that 
when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and with his brothers. That word continue means they persevered. They gave it constant attention. And we see in the book of Acts, it happened more than once. Because they understand we need a fresh infilling. We need to be full. We need to be going to God constantly so that we can be effective witnesses for him. And they did it with one accord. They were united together. They met together. They prayed together. When I sent that video I watched to a friend of mine I serve on the board with, he wrote back, and this is coming from someone not of uh, my persuasion as far as, uh, you know, what this church believes. Um, but this is what he said. Very sobering. And he said, we need more prayer meetings in the churches. He gets it. This isn't going to be reasoning and whatever. We need to pray down heaven. We We need... God to intervene. We need the Spirit of God to come upon us in a greater way. And we need to do it with one accord. That that expression is repeated nine times in the book of Acts. Because when God's people dwell together in unity, God says in Psalm 133, that's where the blessing is. That's where the blessing is. So I'll just finish with this. And uh, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And I want to take some time this morning to give anyone here an opportunity to repent. And I'm not talking about just bringing up the same old thing and um, not coming with a resolve. This is a choice. This is a choice. You can make a choice. And then you can believe God, another choice to believe God, to give you the power to continue in the choice to turn away from your sin or whatever it is. Whatever is distracting, whatever is taking you, whatever needs to happen in your life, you need to start believing God for that. But if you don't really want it, it's not going to happen. I used to tell people that all the time. I said, I'll pray for you, but, you know, I can pray for you till I'm blue in the face. You have to choose it. You have to be done with it. And if you don't have that resolve, then ask God to give you that resolve. He'll even do that. He's done it for me. So you even need him for that. But you can ask. Jesus said, whatever you ask, my Father will give you. Well, does God want you to thoroughly repent? I think so. So if you ask God to give you a repentance, to grant you a repentance that will help you to thoroughly repent, a, a godly sorrow with all those attributes attached to it, that's diligent, that is a clearing of yourself, that has zeal, all those qualities, you've got to ask for it. So I'm going to leave you with four things, but we're going to focus on the last one. 
obviously, if we want to be in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and full of the Spirit, we have to be standing on and over the Word of God. You have to. This is where God will build faith in you. You get hope. You, you, you increase faith by the hearing of the Word of God, taking it in, getting over the promises of God until God absolutely makes it real to you. Then you have to continually bring your mind, your focus to what God did through Jesus. Reminding yourself that he's the one you got to look to. There's nowhere else you can look but him. He's at the right hand of the Father. It's through him you're going to get what you need. Don't look to me. Don't look to your spouse. Don't look here. Don't look online. Look to Jesus. He's the only one that has what you need. And then you have to ask God to get you under the power of the Holy Spirit, which is really a yielding up of yourself to God. Absolute surrender. It takes nothing less than that. Absolute surrender. But the final one is, you're not going to get any of that if you're going to continue on in sin. You've got to get the sin out first. So we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is not a ritual we do here just because we're supposed to do it. We're commanded to do it. We're told to do it until Jesus returns. We do it because it's a reminder, first and foremost, of God, what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. We do it so it could be a time of examining ourselves and just a time to say, okay, Lord, I don't want to be like that brother that's angry, which we'll be looking at next week, and bring my gift to the altar and realize my heart's not right. There's actually a warning in 1 Corinthians 11 about not taking the Lord's Supper seriously. And, you know, they were just being unmerciful. They weren't thinking of others. They were being selfish and all that. And he says, because of that, a lot of you are sick. You're dying. You've got to hold this in honor, and you have to come to the Lord's table with fear and trembling and gratitude for what God has done for you. And then with hope, knowing that one day Jesus is going to fulfill his promise to us fully. There'll be no more death, no more crying. You know, I watched the news. I watched a horrific thing on the news yesterday. I don't know if it was a little old lady or a little old man in a car and this Russian tank just totally just plowed over it and flattened it. And somehow the person was still alive. There was nothing left of the car. And there's kids dying. There's, it's just, just the, all the suffering that goes on around the world. And we have something to offer people we have somewhere to point them where there's hope 
where they could realize that God had a plan and God has taken care of the sin problem, the curse that we, we all live in and that if we'll turn to him, if we'll see our need for him and put our hope and our faith and repent of our sins and realize that we're part of the problem. And that's why there's so much death and sorrow and suffering and evil in this world. That God can rescue them out of that and save them and give them a living hope. He's not going to be able to do that until we're under the power of the Holy Spirit. Until we do business with God. So I want to just give us a little time now. Whatever God might be dealing with you about, things you know he's been dealing with you over and over again, and you're just not responding, you know, the way you need to. You and I, just, we just need to come to God in faith today and say, Lord, I hear you, I've heard you, God, I'm coming as best I know how. I'm trusting you to do what I know I've proven over and over I can't do myself. And as best you can, you need to come and lay your sin, your idol, whatever it is, at his feet. And, and ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to wash you and to purify you. And then we'll have the Lord's Supper. We'll do it properly. And then you can just hold faith that God's going to do what he's promised to do for you. So, Lord, I thank you for speaking to us today, reminding us of what our calling in this world is. We've been going through your sermon on the Mount, Lord, and you laid it out there right for us, Lord, what we should be, what we should look like. And so many times we don't look like that. Your church has not looked like that, Lord, and it's not your fault. So, God, I pray, please bring repentance, bring true repentance into all of our hearts, Lord. We've proven our commitments and our best uh, efforts, Lord, avail nothing. We need you, God. And we're acknowledging that today. That's what this is all about. Us coming, laying whatever it is at your feet, and then trusting you to do what only you can do, Lord. And looking to you and getting over your word and allowing you to produce that faith and to give us the power we need to live the life you called us to live. So Holy Spirit, do your convicting work this morning. Bring your light into our hearts and cause us, Lord, to turn away from those things and to turn to you, Lord. Grant us a heart of repentance, I pray. In Jesus' name.